Welcome to State Bar of Michigan's On Balance Podcast, where we talk about practice management and lawyer wellness for a thriving law practice here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance Podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Molly Rands. And I'm Joanne Hathaway. We're very pleased to have Michael Goetz, Attorney and Grievance Administrator for the Michigan Attorney Grievance Commission, join us today to talk about and help demystify the attorney grievance process in Michigan. This is part one of a two-part series on the discipline process in Michigan. Following Mike's podcast, we will be ushering in our guest, Mark Armitage, Attorney and Executive Director of the Attorney Discipline Board in Michigan, to help demystify its processes with his podcast to launch next month in April. So, Mike, would you share some information about yourself with our listeners? I'd be happy to, Joanne. I want to say thank you to you and Molly. Basically, I am a a 30-year career prosecutor, uh, major crimes prosecutor with Oakland County, Michigan. I came from the attorney uh, general's office uh, when the Supreme Court uh, was kind enough to uh, give me this position. And it's uh, so far been one of the best positions I've ever had in my career. Thanks so much, Mike, for being here with us today. Well, let's get started. What is the Michigan Attorney Grievance Commission? Well, the Michigan Attorney Grievance Commission is one of two co-equal arms of the Michigan Supreme Court. There's the Attorney Grievance Commission and the Attorney Discipline Board that is run by my counterpart, uh, Mark Armitage, who's the executive director. Our job is to uh, carry out the, the constitutional mandates of overseeing all attorneys in the state of Michigan to make sure that they are complying with their ethical obligations. And if they're not, we are charged with the investigation of those particular attorneys. And if warranted, we will uh, take steps necessary to, to issue a formal complaint. The one thing I don't know that people are, are knowledgeable about is the fact that what we do is not uh, geared toward punishment. It is geared toward the protection of the public, the protection of the profession, and the courts. That is our primary role as the uh, as part of the Attorney Grievance Commission. So, Mike, who can make a complaint about an attorney? Well, quite frankly, it, it can come from, from anywhere. Uh, we have judges that make complaints about attorneys, other attorneys, uh, clients, you can have somebody uh, come in off of the street, or I, on my own initiative, can see something in the uh, the newspaper or on the news that if I feel it's warranted to send out what we call a grievance administrator's request for investigation, I can initiate that in my own name. So, I mean, realistically, anybody can make a complaint to our office. It has to be done in writing. It's got to be signed by the uh, the individual, and it's got to be directed toward uh, an attorney. It cannot be directed at a law firm. And once we receive that information, um, the commission itself is, is comprised of nine individuals, six attorneys and three laypeople, who will meet once a month to determine what we're going to do with any particular cases. Now, for example, we get into a situation where we receive a request for investigation. It'll go into my intake department, and they will make a determination whether or not we should just summarily close out the case or whether or not it should be reviewed by one of our staff counsel. If it goes to the staff counsel, then they will investigate the matter. Uh, they may call an individual in for uh, 
a sworn statement. We may subpoena bank records. We may subpoena other things. And once a staff attorney indicates that, you know, something needs to be done, they will draft up a memo, a memo for my review, and then I'll make a determination whether or not that's going to get sent to the commission or whether or not we, uh, we're going to close it out. I do have a follow-up question on that, Mike. You mentioned on the panel that it's all, in addition to attorneys, it's comprised of lay people. How yes. are those lay people chosen, and do they stay on the panel for short periods or long periods of time? They are assigned uh, a term of three years which can be renewed one time. And the appointments are done by the Michigan Supreme Court. Now, what methods they use to, to make these choices, I couldn't tell you. All I know is that when someone's term is up, we will be notified by the Supreme Court that we're going to have a new commissioner on the board. And then we make every accommodation to make their transition into the, the way we do things, you know, as easy as possible. Great. That is so helpful, Mike. Can you help the listeners understand what the difference is between maybe an informal and a formal complaint? Absolutely. The best, the best way that I can describe it is this office receives anywhere from 2,500 to 3,000 complaints every year. And of those complaints, about 80, maybe 80 to 100 actually go to formal complaint. So let me, let me just describe this for you. Anytime we get something that comes into our office, we make a determination whether it warrants a formal complaint or not. If not, we can handle it in-house. It could be we don't, we don't determine that there's enough evidence to say that misconduct happened. We can just close out the case. We'll notify the, the respondent. We'll notify the complainant. We may send a cautionary uh, letter along with the, the closing to the respondent saying, we find you know, no misconduct has occurred. However, you may in the future want to be a little bit more cognizant of this area just to make sure you don't get yourself in, uh, into an issue. The next aspect would be contractual probations, whereby we could do a formal com complaint or what have you. And a lot of times those are in relation to people with uh, substance abuse problems, mental health problems, where they're agreeing to say, yes, you know, I need some help. And if I promise to, to get that help and, and we'll monitor you for a year or two, then it won't go by way of formal complaint. The final aspect is an admonishment. An admonishment is basically indicating that you have committed misconduct, you're being admonished. The respondent has to consent to that, however, and they have 21 days with which to do that. If they fail to, if they say, nope, I don't want an admonishment, it will come back to the commission and the commission will at that point in time make a determination. Okay, do we have enough to go forward? We may, we may just send out, close it, or we may send it for a formal complaint. Now, what's the difference between an informal and a formal complaint? Informal, com informal complaints and, and resolutions are not disciplined. Therefore, they are not a matter of public record. Most attorneys, you know, the first thing they do when they get their bar journal is they flip <laughs> open to the back of the bar journal and they go, okay, let's see who I know that's been, you know, sanctioned or disbarred or suspended this month. It's just, it's just a, a nature of the animal. You will not find anything as far as an informal nature in the bar journal. Once a formal complaint uh, and just by way of letting you know is that I can neither confirm nor deny anyone coming to this office say, hey, have you gotten a complaint on this attorney? I can't even mention that pursuant to the court rule. Once we file a formal complaint, however, the rules change. Then it becomes a matter of public record. Then I can comment on it. And then that is once it goes to the attorney discipline board, a determination or an order comes down. That's what attorneys see when they open up the bar journal and look for the uh, the disciplinary section. 
Mike, you've talked about investigating cases. Can you delve a little bit uh, into that? In particular, can you talk about some of the steps you might take during the investigation? Oh, absolutely. You know, every, every investigation is different. I mean, one of the unique things about this office is that my staff counsel have to kind of become experts in, in just a, a myriad of different uh, legal areas, whether it's bankruptcy, securities and exchange, divorce, what have you. Um, but normally we will get a request for investigation in by whomever or wherever, and it will go to our intake department. Our intake department will give it a cursory look and say, okay, you know, this just deserves to be closed out. Or they may say, this deserves further investigation. It'll be assigned to one of my staff counsel. My staff counsel then, who has access, who has an investigator and a paralegal at their disposal, will obtain as much information as they can. We get a lot of trust account overdraft notifications that banks are required to contact us if an IOLTA account becomes overdrawn. One of the things that we may do as we may subpoena three months or more of the bank records to make sure that, you know, nothing nefarious is going on. We may uh, ask the attorney to provide their, their entire client file uh, to send it to us so that we can review, you know, any, any allegations that complainants are, are making about that particular attorney. We can even call them in for a sworn statement. And it's just like a deposition. We will, they're entitled to counsel or they're free to come in by themselves. We will have a court reporter there, and the staff counsel will ask them a number of questions under oath to, to make sure, um, you know, to, to fully, more fully explore what's going on. We will take all of that information, the staff counsel will put it together, and then they will make a recommendation by form of memo to me of what should happen with the case. If they're recommending a formal complaint, I'll come, it'll, it'll, I'll approve it, and then I'll, I'll submit it to the commission at, at our monthly meeting. We have, on average, between 60 and 70 memos that the commission has to review every month. Um, I'm not saying that all of those are, uh, are formal complaints. I mean, they, they, they will concur in, in closings. They will concur in admonishments. They will approve contractual probations. But sometimes they don't agree with our recommendation. They say, well, no, I think this should be a formal complaint. Or I think this should be just a closing with caution, in which case they are the, the final sayers of what happens with that particular case. They, they, they lay down the law, so to speak, and we follow it. You mentioned contractual probation. And as the director of LJAP or the Lawyers and Judges Assistance Program, we're always thrilled to be a part of those cases and to do our best to get you know attorneys the help that they need. One of the things we hear is folks coming in and talking about, should I lawyer up? Should I fully cooperate? <laughs> or should I simply disregard for the request for investigation? Can you talk about that? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, 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 it's funny because it, it amazes me uh, how many attorneys will either not respond to a request for investigation or they'll respond late. And quite frankly, I mean, you know, when lawyers are in law school and they're, and they're being taught like criminal law and whatnot, they're always told, tell, make sure your client doesn't say anything to the police. You know, just keep, keep, keep quiet. Lawyer up. The problem is, is the way that our system works out, like I said, we're not here to punish anybody. And where you can have a case where if we were to have the full knowledge up front, we may have decided, okay, look, you know what? That's a reasonable explanation. We're not going to proceed further with it. The problem is, is now that the, the attorney has decided not to answer our request for investigation, that is misconduct in and of itself. So where another case, we would have just closed it out or closed it with caution or maybe even admonished and done with it, 
Now they're, they're entering a whole new bailiwick by, by not answering the complaint. So it really, it really benefits the attorney to, to be forthcoming with the Attorney Grievance Commission. We're not this scary, you know, cloak and dagger organization that attorneys seem to think we are. Although, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. Like I said, we have maybe 80 complaints a year that go to formal complaint over, you know, divide that by the, you know, the 2,500 to 3,000 cases that we get every year. And it shows that it's, it's really a pretty minuscule amount. What I have found doing this job is that the majority of attorneys do a great job. I mean, it, it, there's a very small percentage that are out there doing, you know, they're intentionally trying to, to harm the, the, the general public. But as a, as a general rule, for the most part, I've found that most attorneys want to do a good job. They may not be up to date on, you know, the rules, uh, Michigan Rules of Professional Conduct or the disciplinary rules. And sometimes that's where they get into trouble. It's not that they were trying to do something wrong. It's that, you know, they may not have understood. Like one, one example is when an attorney gets convicted of a crime, they're required within 14 days of the plea to notify not only myself, but Mark Armitage at the ADB to let them know that, you know, th there's been a conviction. And there's a lot of attorneys that uh, that don't do that. And that goes along for the prosecutor and the defense attorney as well. All three are required to make that uh, disclosure to our agencies. One thing I would like to point out, Mike, and I know you are well aware of this, but some of our listeners may not be, is that many lawyers' professional liability insurance policies do provide for coverage for the appointment of a lawyer in the event of a disciplinary proceeding. However, I would like to say that I have seen different carriers interpret that differently based upon the exact same policy language, based upon if they, if they will appoint a lawyer during the AGC or investigatory stage or wait until the ADB has become involved. So I would encourage everyone to check with their agent and be aware that that coverage is available for them. Yeah, I mean, that's a, quite honestly, that's something I didn't even know. And like I said, you know, attorneys, just like anybody else, are, are you know, they're eligible to, to hire their own attorney to come in. I mean, the hearings that, that Mark Armitage will talk about are done by, by civil bench trial rules. So, I mean, he's, you know, they can bring in their own attorney. They can, they can you know, be in pro per if they like to. But that's an interesting piece of information that I, even I didn't know. So, Mike, what are some of the common problems attorneys face aside from voluntary and intentional misconduct? You know, there's a whole there's a whole host. When I when I talk about the the issue of trust account overdraft notifications, that seems to be a big one. We get a lot of those types of cases in, and it's not necessarily that somebody's trying to. You know, there's a difference between you know writing a check where maybe the the funds didn't pass at the right time. You know, you, you deposited a check in your IOLTA account and you waited two days, you wrote a check out to somebody else, but then it didn't clear for four days. The banks are still required to, to send us notification. We sent out a grievance administrator's request for investigation. It's just a matter of being familiar with the rules. What I did or the practice that I made, and I started this more than 30 years ago, is once a year, you know, during a slow time of year, Christmas time, whatever, you know, I would basically crack open the, the Michigan court rules and I'd crack open the MRPC and I just, I just read it for, for refreshment. And there were times that I'd say, Hey, look, you know, I, I forgot about that. That's, you know, that's a good thing. So, I mean, trust account overdraft notifications, you know, not returning phone calls, not communicating well with your clients. That's an area that a lot of attorneys seem to get themselves in, in trouble with, you know, returning calls, quickly responding. 
The one thing I don't advise people to do is text with their clients. You know, you want you want some type of paper trail, and texts often aren't the best, especially if there's a disagreement between the attorney and the client or or the complainant. So, I mean, there's there's various things. It's not some of it's not even negligence. It's just may be that they they don't thoroughly understand what the rules dictate. Well, that makes sense. You've mentioned the Attorney Discipline Board a couple of times. Can you talk about how that entity really interacts with the Attorney Grievance Commission? Well, I, I tell you, I was very fortunate to have Mark Armitage as the executive director. I mean, when I took office here at the Attorney Grievance Commission, he was very helpful in helping me kind of get acclimated to, to the, whole, the whole nine yards. Basically, when we file a complaint with the Attorney Discipline Board, and Mark will expound on this a little bit more, is that uh, it'll be assigned to a panel. There's several panels throughout the state of Michigan. But acting as the court aspect of the, the Supreme Court, it, the cases are tried, as I indicated before, in a, a civil bench trial uh, style. As opposed to having one judge, you're going to have three volunteer lawyers that hear all the evidence, and they will make a decision as far as what the eventual outcome is, whether or not. There's really two phases, misconduct and aggravation and mitigation phases, and they're kind of bifurcated. Once misconduct is determined, then they move into the mitigation and aggravation phases to to then consult the ABA uh, model standards for professional discipline to come up with a, with an appropriate uh, sanction, if you will, anything from you know essentially no no reprimand to all the way through disbarment. And there's there's certain it's kind of like sentencing guidelines in a criminal case where you've got certain factors you look into it and kind of go on a horizontal grid and then figure out what to, you know what needs to be done, but. I mean, we work very good together. We try to keep both of our agencies, you know, if, if we've got a procedural issue that maybe they're having, uh, the, the ADB is having an issue with us, the way we do things, we're more than willing to, to open up and say, hey, okay, how can we do it better? And Mark and, and his uh, agency have been just tremendous in, in working very well with us. Great information. Thank you. So, Mike, it looks like we've come to the end of our show. We'd like to thank our guest today, Mike Guest, for a wonderful program. Mike, if our guests would like to follow up with you, how can they best reach you? Well, I'll tell you, there's there's one of two ways. Uh, we're actually moving our office from Detroit to Troy come April 1st. However, uh, the, the email address and the, uh, the telephone number is not going to change. If they have a question, they can get in touch with me directly at uh, area code 313-961-6585. And if they'd care to visit our website, it's agcmi. Org. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I learned. Molly, thank you. Yeah, I learned so much today. Even being with the bar and LJAP for 10 years and having a relationship with AGC, I still have learned so much. And I know our listeners will too. This has been another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance podcast. I'm Joanne Hathaway. And I'm Molly Rands. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. Brought to you by the State Bar of Michigan and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find the State Bar of Michigan and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own 
and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network or the State Bar of Michigan or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.